Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Gross Domestic Podcast with your hosts, Grace and Antonio. Hello. Hello. We are back. We've got a bunch of stuff to cover. Um, My first thought is um, the whole hedge fund GameStop fiasco. Yeah. But we can build up to that. Yeah, we have a lot to say on that, so we can start... Easy with the recent passing of um, <laughs> Sophie. Yeah. Gloomy, gloomy shadow hangs over the start of twenty twenty one in general. Yeah. It's kind of like um, I mean, people are saying this online all the time, like twenty twenty ends, but that doesn't mean that. Yeah. Does you know the they're, end of a calendar year is not the end of an era? Well, yeah, they're calling it an eighteen month year. They're calling it an eighteen month year. Um, but yeah, it's clearly relentless, I think, <clears throat> and we'll obviously talk about it. Also, sorry if there's, like, random background noise, it, like... The snow's torrential today. Yeah. We are, this is the northeastern snowstorm. There's way over a foot of snow outside, and it's just a bunch of cars stuck in an intersection and snow plows. Yeah, so if you hear scraping, yelling, honking, know that this is a, a truly, uh... New York-based podcast. of Brooklyn <laughs> yeah. on this Monday evening. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't mind the snow, but um, it does really set the tone, I think, for this year. Also brings to mind what you were saying to me earlier about the overall shift in weather patterns in the U.S. Totally. Because this isn't going to be just a one-off year. No. The Northeast is just in for this now. Yeah. I know. I posted once on my Instagram story and I was like, I hate to break it to you, but like every year after 2020 <laughs> will be worse. Um, and I've never had such high engagement. So many people <laughs> were like really pissed off that I said that. But um, honestly, I, I agree. I mean, we've already seen it. Yeah. Even just in terms of, I mean, the pandemic, we have way higher rates right now. I mean, not just in the U.S. Yeah. Than we did during that first wave of lockdown when people were being super serious about following rules and the anti-mask movement wasn't even that much of a thing yet. Totally. And now we peaked like at like a 300 case, new case total in one day this past week. Really? Or this past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. 300,000 new cases in one day. And Ooh, it was just... Um, look at us go. <laughs> setting records. I'm going to fact... I can actually... There I'm going to fact check been, that before I... But, yeah. There have mm-hmm. never been you know, more cases of coronavirus in any country in the world. Uh, so we're setting records here. Um, we're good at this. Yeah. What does the U.S. lead the world in? Um, rates of cancer, <laughs> mass obesity. incarceration, obesity, heart disease, COVID yeah. All of the... Military spending. That's mm. a very, very fun one. Yeah. So... That's just so funny. I'm just trying to look at the New York Times covid page yeah what without, are they oh saying? yeah this is our peak from um mid-december oh so it was like well over over two weeks ago but we peaked at 300,000 new cases in one day that's great but um, um the point is um this uh paywalls the new york times will give me a paywall if i want to read an article yeah um, if i'm not locked in so will the atlantic so will the new yorker the Guardian will encourage you to, like, donate. You get all these, like, pop-ups on, like, Washington Post. All the news sources <laughs> that aren't super crazy far-right-leaning news sources hmm. give you paywalls. But you know what's free? 
Fox, Fox News. News. I kind of like some Fox every once in a while just to shake up my yeah. perspective on the world. Well, another funny thing, too, is it what it's like six media companies like mm-hmm. in the U.S. like own like 90 percent of of the media. So it's like, I don't know, people have a lot to say about corporate media. And maybe that's for another episode. How but much variety is there really, I guess? Yeah, I know. Well, even researching this like Reddit thing, I was like... I don't know. Everyone has the same kind of like watered down take on the matter. And here we are to give. There were articles trying to use Trumpism to explain the whole hedge fund fiasco. Whoa. And I'm like, everyone on the fringe, on the political periphery, the people who are not centrists are looking at it like this is one of the most radical things Mm -hmm. to have happened in terms of, you know, activism and collective action. And People, I mean, and I mean, in forever, you know, a lot of people, whether they're on the far left or far right, are like, oh my god, yeah, wow, right. incredible. But a lot of people, and I'm seeing this on Twitter, are also mad because the people who managed to me- uh, to fuck over Melvin Capital themselves right. are not oppressed, totally, and themselves are not leftist activists or, right. you know, woke per se. Well, but I'm like, if I just, you don't have to be oppressed or a leftist to commit a really radical act. And I think we have a lot to learn from them. Yeah. But and we can well no, I was just going to say for like me my internet rattled brain cuz I like honestly had a lot of trouble focusing on reading any of these articles but for like my own edification and then also like any of the listeners out there, can you cuz I know you've been really deep in this like give us a recap of like what what you know, a quick recap of what what went down with those. But basically, they so, were trying to... Someone on our Wall Street bets, you can look up yourself how they noticed. But notice that Melvin Capital was trying to short GameStop stocks. Right. And how you short a stock, it's basically betting that the cost, the value of a stock will drop. It'll depreciate, and then... And yeah. using, instead <clears throat> of losing money... When you short a stock, you don't lose money. When a stock's value drops, you gain money. Right. And how you do that is Melvin Capital borrows a bunch of shares of GameStop stock. They don't buy the shares, they borrow them. They immediately sell them. Right. And then they wait for that stock to drop. So they're betting that the value of that stock is going to depreciate. And as soon as it gets... Whoa. To a comfortably low level to make sure that something like what just happened doesn't happen. Right. They'll buy all those shares back. So if this, they bought this, they borrowed the stock and it was a hundred dollars, and they sold it for a hundred dollars, and then it dropped to eighty dollars, and they bought it back from eighty dollars. They give it back to the person they borrowed it from at eighty dollars, not at a hundred dollars. So they get to keep twenty dollars, and that's just how you short a stock. Yeah. Our Wall Street bets realize they can force Melvin Capital to have to give all the stock back at a way higher value than they borrowed it at or sold it at Mm. if they bought up a bunch of shares of the stock and artificially inflated its value. Right. And that's... That was a bit rambly. How we're here today. I'm going to be honest, still Mm. a little bit lost, but basically the little man... yeah. I should just read a little script for how oh. it works. Well, I mean, whatever. I think, no, but I think, like, the the, the broader th- thing to talk about is really, like, what happened, not necessarily, like, how it happened. 
Um, Because you can get into all of the, like, technical jargon of, like, how a short squeeze works, but... For me, the big lesson is individual firms like hedge funds and investment banks have huge amounts of capital that they can move around to engage in stock market manipulation on a level that no individual person can. Totally. But suddenly, all these individuals on Reddit came together... And just did exactly what yeah. <laughs> our do to each other. Wasn't that the whole thing, too? Is like, basically, we profess to live in, like, a free market, mm-hmm. free market economy and, like, whatever neoliberal society. But, like, in reality, there are, like, power brokers and people who, like, can and do manipulate the market. And then we act in a way that, like, doesn't either adhere to those, like, mm-hmm. pre-existing plans or, like, actually asserts the fact that it is, like laissez-faire it is like a free market in which individuals can participate it becomes a problem when the capital gains are like not you know going how dare in the right direction how dare the poors yeah someone on twitter tried to no on tiktok i think tried to call me out for calling people the poors yeah i'm like sweetie we're the poor <laughs> yeah we're all I'm the, the poor yeah but um it's relative i think is your true. point that it's like we don't control like 80 billion dollars in assets like a hedge fund neither do the people who made like a couple hundred thousand dollars i mean i know people made like exponential amounts of wealth but like it's all really kind of relative when you look at like a hundred thousand dollars versus a million dollars versus a billion which it's like like quite literally like exponential increases so yeah i'm mm-hmm. i hear How you quickly there the government came to the aid of um the of financers though which yeah really hilarious <clears throat> and shocking to the point where by the end of the first day yeah of the whole gamestop reddit melvin capital thing the government was like, okay, well, we're monitoring these volatile markets. And then right. Robin Hood prevents people from selling, from right. buying. They can only sell out because they were trying yeah. to artificially drive prices down on right. shares. And I'm like, you named this app Robin Hood. Yeah. The irony. Stop acting, like, <laughs> Stop acting like you actually, like, care, care about the people. I saw one tweet that was like, you know, like, how it started versus how it's going. And it was, like, look from Robin Hood. It was, like, let the people trade. And then it, like, ends up, like, Robin Hood has halted trading on, like, (laughs) on, you know, whatever GME and AMC stocks. And it's, like, well, of course. Like, also, I will say, like, that's such a trend with, like, every... I mean, it's, like, fintech, but it's still, like, a big tech firm, like, with Facebook, like, move fast and break things, and then it was, like, oh, we broke society, Google, (laughs) like, we broke society, oops, Google, don't be evil, oh, actually, we're, like, incredibly evil, and, like, all of our business is, like, really nefarious, we can, we'll do a big tech episode, I have a lot of, (laughs) a lot of takes, but, we can wax poetic on, oops, I'm sorry, yeah, we can wax poetic on what it means to even, like, the yeah what the inescapability of an entity like google even means but um because it feels ubiquitous but it's really something else yeah the point right now well okay i feel like the the whole thing with like robin hood intervening i mean like it, it fundamentally just like underscores like how wall street operates on like mm-hmm. a day-to-day basis yes and it took an event like this for the public to be like oh my god like what is, what is going on you know like 
and really draw a lot of media attention to something that is just like in inane not inane but like inherent in the way yeah. the system operates it's another hedge fund had done this to melvin capital if two hedge funds had duped it out like this i don't think this would have made news yeah they would the short wouldn't have been as severe and gamestop stock wouldn't have climbed to like four hundred dollars a share probably not but it would have been a much smaller short a smaller you know dip in the pond and finance would have gone on as usual but you know the poors had to figure something out yeah, and small act of resistance. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. what were we going to say? Oh, but, um, there's oh, just another pervasive criticism of this is like, oh my god, they're encouraging all these people to like dump their savings into GameStop stocks. Like, right. the stock market's going to get messed up. All these poor people are going to lose their money who can't afford to lose money in a stock market crash. Right. And I just want to make it as cl- plain as day. 85% of stocks owned in the U.S., are owned by the wealthiest 10% of families, the average American citizen does not lose money when the stock market crashes. They, totally. They, I mean, like, the crash itself, they don't lose val- like value in terms of, like, owning shares of a company or something like that. They might get laid off because their company suddenly is worthless that they work for, but... Well, it's... The, in- sorry. Well, uh-oh. no, it's, like, it's interesting, too, to see, like, when we look back at, like, past sort of incidents that, I guess, like, had as widespread media attention i mean this one probably wasn't as like universally impactful but if you look at like the dot-com boom if you look at the 2008 financial crisis like people who already had money i mean it's not universally true but a lot of people who already had money like reconsolidated their wealth as a result of like any kind of like severe market volatility because they really don't at the end of the day. It's not like those people, you know what I mean? I feel like their stocks or their investments like actually perform maybe not better, but like they still perform in a volatile market. And they also are allowed to have a diverse enough portfolio and enough, engage in enough insider trading, have some really, you know, yeah. phenomenal accountants over at UBS Investment Bank or whatever <laughs> that like... When you're really wealthy, there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of risk involved in trading stock. But if you have a certain amount of money, most of your stocks aren't tied up in in volatile, you know, markets. It's not high risk trading. You're investing, you're investing, yeah, yeah, you're investing in things like water, renewable energy, fossil fuels, Mm. depending on what kind of demon you are. You might be investing in, yeah, like... pick your poison. Yeah, you might be going <laughs> for, like, Dow Chemical. You might be going for Monsanto. You might be doing Amazon shares. But you're not investing in volatile stock like GameStop, you know? Yeah. This has been a weird middle market. Because Melvin Capital isn't... It's, it's not UBS. It's not, like it's not the Goldman biggest, Sachs. like, hedge fund. Like they were shorting GameStop, you know? Or something, yeah. 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 Well, I don't know. Not to dunk on a hedge fund. Yeah, I know. I'm like, Melvin Capital ain't shit. And I saw that they actually, like, lost, like, so much money in January <laughs> because of this. Which is, no like... No one is, is, like, letting yeah. them trade for them anymore. I'm like, mm-hmm. I know. I kind of love to see it, though. It's fun. Okay. Well, can I tell you my, like, mm-hmm. hot take? And, like, I was actually, like... It's funny that you, like, brought up Fox earlier because I was watching, like, a Fox... <laughs> I was watching a... I don't watch... Fox, I will serially. say though, you should totally watch things you disagree with. Yeah, that's you true. Should. Yeah, that's something you should do. If you don't do it, start doing it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I was watching a Fox News video where they were interviewing some dude who is like, 
I don't know, like affiliated with the the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, and he said one thing that like really stood out to me, which I think you would really like. And I actually have like some other thoughts on this that we can get into. Um, but he referred to it as a reoccupation of Wall Street, which I like. I love that. I loved that. Right. I also think it did way more to hurt Wall Street. Totally. And to hurt the in public image of Wall Street, even the internal operations of Wall Street, Wall then, Street in the eyes of the average Joe, of the yeah. co- of a government official, it did way more to harm Wall Street than the Occupy Wall Street movement did. I always say it. Protests shouldn't be peaceful. They should be disruptive, annoying, and in everybody's way. And an economic, I think, think increasingly. The most important part. Because I think, isn't that, like, so accurate, though? And it also, like, was really, for me, like, a, a testament to the power of, like, digital technology in our lives now where it was, like, I don't know, like, what, 2011 was the Occupy movement? Like... I mean, granted, we had we had iPhones, but it, it and it was like still technically mediated and organized. But now this is kind of like a collective a, a movement um, or, or like form of collective action that like leverages digital technology against yes. the system itself. I was rereading a little bit of Twenty Four Seven earlier today just to get myself Twenty Four Seven by Jonathan Crary. It's in my reading list. He's phenomenal. Some of the language he uses in there. The average Twitter activist would cancel you for saying, but we don't want to get into that. A little esoteric. But the point is, he talks about the, um, (laughs) what Guy Debord called, no, sorry, what Deleuze, Sartre, sorry, edit this out, man. Fartra. What? I'm going to leave it in. Jean-Paul Sartre, (laughs) who got to fuck Simone de Beauvoir, even though she was out of his, anyways, so, I mean, he's a very clever man, obviously. But, um, All French intellectuals look are, like Michelle Welbeck. <laughs> I'm convinced. There's like a, there's a, you can plot them on an axis. Yeah. Oh my God. Baudrillard like, just looks like if you inflated Welbeck. Yeah, and gave yeah you gave him some like facial fillers. Yep. And like maybe like a laser treatment. Yeah, like. <laughs> and like he didn't smoke as many cigarettes probably. I feel like Baudrillard woke up like smoked fifty cigarettes, wrote some sentence like. Yeah, like really nicotine addled and like. He's like shaking because he's on coffee and he's like, um, that's me every morning. Everything is refracted and everything else. And every day we dice with death and that's why we drive fast on the highway. And then he'd just go back to sleep at like 4 PM. Yeah. Sorry. But the point was, yeah. In this Curry book, he, um, mentions this bit about Sartre where Sartre talks about like collective, uh, a praxis being turned like through just kind of like the numbing and dilution of everything into like. Um, this, this like word, I'm like, I should just like have brought the book. Um, what I wanted to say regarding the like reoccupation of Wall Street was I actually did this interesting reading in college, um, by this guy, Bernard Harcourt. Do you know him? I don't Vaguely. know. Vaguely. Yeah. The name, the name is like book. really familiar, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wrote this piece called Political Disobedience that I thought would be kind of like an interesting way to think about like what we're seeing now. Um, Cause it was about the Occupy protests and he basically made the argument um, that there's a difference between like what we think of as like civil disobedience, because mm-hmm. that recognizes that like, um, you know, power structures, politics, like the enforcement of law and order, like it, 
it legitimizes that, whereas, mm-hmm. like, political disobedience, which is this, like, new term he's coming up with to describe the Wall Street protests, like, um, kind of criticizes, like, all of that at once. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. underlying structures. It's, like, very, like, a post-structural kind of, like, mm-hmm. protest. Um, but, yeah. Because it doesn't... It's not like we're not in the town square. We're not like burning down the Capitol, which was, I thought it was such a. I mean, it was obviously iconic. It was problematic. It was horrible. But riding at, riding at the Capitol, I think, was less effective than this Reddit thing. Yeah. No. Totally. <laughs> it's like it's very symbolic, but like that's another thing where I was like, it's mm-hmm. literally like a protest for the digital age. Like everyone walked in there and just like took pictures because yes. the interest wasn't in like, I mean, yeah, maybe you could say that like people wanted to like kill Nancy Pelosi or whatever. I mean, no I'm comment. Sure some did. Um, a lot of people do. I mean, just, um, <laughs> um, anyway, but, um, yeah. Where it's like that one was like highly digitally mediated um, in a way that, like, had a real-world presence, and this is kind of, like, the inversion of that, right? It's, like, it has a... F- well, I don't know. Maybe it's not an inversion directly, but it's, like, all digital, and yes. the impact is, like, so much bigger. Wait, funny that you say inversion. Yeah. Because the quote I was looking for earlier, pardon my gaff, my Joe Biden-ass gaff, is... When what Sartre termed an, inver- an inversion of praxis into practical inert activity. And then what Curry goes on to discuss is online activism. Mm. And I'm, I know this keeps me humble, obviously. Yeah. But how much of it has turned into, and I think we've all seen this like face-to-face online, screen-to-screen perhaps, interface-to-interface, yeah. how much online activism really is impotent activity. But back to your point on a protest for, like, the digital age. Yeah. And effective ways of protesting and, you know, what's an effective postmodern protest? It's something that, for me, it's something that targets the same abstract, like, Mm -hmm. ephemeral Mm -hmm. transition and, like, movement of power, of capital, of money. Preach. That, like, (laughs) that is used to oppress us. Because I'm going to be honest, what what did Foucault say? It's not a disciplinary society, it's a control society. Now we could call it a surveillance society. Right. Or, I mean, a number of terms that theorists have tried mm. to use to, and politicians, and marketers, and hedge fund managers, and investment bankers, <laughs> and tech CEOs right. have tried to use to reconceptualize the world we live in. But the fact is that power and things that control our lives are these abstract things that, are, that feel very distant from us until a bunch of people... Yeah. On Wall Street bets, decide they're not. And now they're going to try to, like, you know, pull back again, mm-hmm. rein the horse in, make the poor afraid. But yeah. eventually I think we'll figure it out. Can I read this quote from mm-hmm. the article? Okay, so Harcourt is, like, describing... Because I literally think it, like, perfectly speaks to, like, everything you just said. Um, so here we go. Political disobedience, by contrast, so in contrast to civil disobedience... Um, resists the very way in which we are governed. It rejects the idea of honoring or expressing the highest respect for law. It refuses to willingly accept the sanctions meted out by le- by our legal and political system. It challenges the conventional way uh, that political governance takes place. And then this, I think it's like chef's kiss. 
Um, it resists the structure of partisan politics, the traditional demand for policy reforms, the call for, par- um, for party identification, and beyond that, the very ideologies that have dominated the post-war period. Defying convention, um, it being you know, political disobedience in the Wall Street, the Occupy Wall Street protests, embraced the idea of being leaderless and adopted rhizomic, non-hierarchical governing structures but i think like especially in light of this reddit situation to what you said earlier it's like literally like not about like whether you're rich or you're poor you're like left wing right wing like both people because they're all on reddit participated (laughs) in this act of resistance and just because you don't agree with someone's politics just because they're not oppressed as oppressed as you or oppressed in the same way or just because they might be a centrist loser who trades stocks For a moment, everyone came together and did something insanely radical and unprecedented. Yeah. They fucked over a hedge fund. Which is like... How hot is that? It's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. As Paris Hilton would say, that's sexy, bitch. It's hotter than dating a guy who works at a hedge fund. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. (laughs) Which I'm partial towards, but that's my own... uh, (laughs) That's my own inner demon. This is something that we all have our... Yeah. I mean, I'm living my dream and dating an artist, so we what all, are we doing? Yeah. But I will say, this is something my coworker brought up. Yeah. Um, I love her to death, my preface. I love her to death, but her husband works in banking. Yeah, and she was coming to the um, kind of, like, defense of the financers, like, I don't know why all these idiots are coming in here and, like, you know, like, just totally, like, just they're all going to just, like, lose money. They're just going to mess everything mm-hmm. up for everybody else. They don't know what they're doing. You have to study for years, and you have to understand what you're doing to be an investor. And I'm like, one, I know that's not true. Not true. You if can you're be on, an art history major. If you're go on to s- Goldman Sachs for an interview, and if you can survive their 20-hour interview, they'll teach you what you can do. I mean, this is yeah. not often, but I'm like, yeah. it's really not... It's kind of... Let me backtrack. I think much like art, fashion, literature, philosophy, any esoteric field of study... Anything that's insular, it's clouded in this intentionally difficult to understand language. And it's got all these little loopholes and moments of gatekeeping. But at the essence of it, you can download an app like Robinhood and do really well. Yeah. It's like an intentionally clouded obscure it's but it's a bunch of bullshit just like art and fashion are kind yeah. of a bunch of bullshit doesn't mean i don't like it i mean a lot of things like kind of erect language around themselves as like you know like a a, <laughs> a wall of protection you know because then it's like it's not as easy to critique the actual problem when you're saying things like liquidate my assets and it's like well that sounds vaguely sexual but like <laughs> Um, <laughs> like, what does that literally my... mean? It's like, li- liquidate my assets, daddy. daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, but what, yeah. what is a, um, a pre-fall collection? What's a resort collection? Why spring, summer, and February? Yeah, what is the ineluctable modality of the visual? Bitch, that does not, those are not, that's not Splintering English. Splintering into endless replication. What's another good one? Yeah. Diaphane, uh, a diaphane. Phenomenology, yeah. the young Hegelians. Well, what does any of it really mean? None of it means anything. But yeah, I mean, it like yeah. literally is like it makes it more in like unapproachable, more unattainable. Yeah. I do like, I will say, I get a lot of stock talk TikToks. Yeah, I'm big on stock talk. And I'm like... Circling back to your previous point. <laughs> yeah. But also I will have present a small defense of this. There is a way to use that kind of language, whether like what I have to do at work all the time, like... 
just you're discussing art. You have to write and stock talk and stuff about it. Yeah. But there is a way to do it legibly. And also, especially in, like, I guess, not always, but in sometimes in an academic setting, you can use the language in a way not to muddy the waters, but right. to speak with greater precision. Mm, that's and true. And I think that's why a field of study will develop the language to begin with. Mm. You know, I mean, even the word historical materialism used to have such a specific, precise, like, context around itself. It was almost a denotation. There was a time, yeah. even the word capitalism has shifted. Oh, wait. There was this time in um, school where we were reading Fanon, and Fanon is an explicit, like, he's, like, on Marxism. When he says capitalism, he doesn't mean, like, oh, the system at large, like, whatever we call it now. Right. He's talking about, like literal who has capital who exploits and who is exploited who has capital and who does not and this girl goes on this like rant this rant about how he's like misusing capital and he should be talking about imperialism and that's and she's also the only other black girl in the class so i was just like keep your mouth shut grace (laughs) but um and how he was just like and i was like dude like the whole time if you just like had read i don't know (laughs) had not hadn't read more than the spark notes and I don't mean to, like, gatekeep it, because I'm sure she was so busy and didn't have time to do the reading. You know, half the time I didn't, but, like... Yeah. I was like, man, like, actually, Fanon's such a good writer and is speaking with so much precision about, like, what he means right now. No, he's not talking about imperialism. Right. So. I mean, diction <sighs> is important and meaningful. And, yeah, I guess, like... I don't know, I'm still convinced that, like, stock an economic language are, like, yeah. inherently meaningless. I mean, the stock market didn't um, exist until, like, the Netherlands in, yeah. like, the 1500s when they were just basically trading speculation. Yeah, true. Supply-side economics. And, like, what's another one? Pareto efficiency. I'm sorry. Just say, like, no one fucking wins. <laughs> um, um, Keynes. <laughs> Keynes. What are Keynes Keynesian economics. Yeah, we don't need to get into that. You know that. what I think is funny? Oh, no, yeah, we don't have but, um, okay, wait, to circle all the way back to, like, I don't know, I, like, I really like thinking about this as, like, a modern-day occupation of Wall Street, but it, like, as opposed to the other one where we were just, like, inconveniencing people by, like, sleeping outside of their offices, um, it actually has, like, real-world economic economic material impacts on people companies profitability which is so much more damning than yeah. like you know holding up a sign that says we are the one percent it's like when people were like <laughs> oh like how can this protest like be peaceful if it's or the 99 percent oh, oh we are the 99 <laughs> yeah i'm like oh my god sorry i'm yeah, like freudian slip <laughs> we are the phallic one percent yeah we are the one percent but um, um it's kind of like economic oh when people were complaining about looting during blm yeah i'm like well if people are suffering under a socioeconomic system that values private property over human life, right. then looting is a valid form of protest. Correct. It's a fuck you to private property. Because when you loot a target and the shit's insured, yeah. it demonstrates well, that pro- private property is replaceable in a way that human life isn't. Mm, it's also just like, I'm going to be honest, it's not well thought out. Yeah. It's not that effective. I mean, it can yeah. be, but it, it's... It tends to make you look bad. It's bad press. But I do think it is an understandable, inevitable, valid form of 
uh, resist resistance and, protests and just yeah sand in the gears exactly well I think one interesting thing too while we're like talking about protests is like I don't know not to be like controversial but it's like what like legitimate like improvements and like material shifts did we see as a result of like BLM like granted some police departments did divest like I don't think Kamala Harris dude (laughs) yeah I know right like that's what we got out of it I mean I'm not like I'm not even I'm sure there were like material benefits and like like obviously it was very empowering but but Raphael Warnock in Georgia but in the same way that we saw this happen before with like Pride, Like, I just feel like a lot of companies are just now incorporating the logic of BLM into how they operate when it doesn't translate into any material benefits for black people. And it's, like, also, like, we hire more, like, black CEOs. Like, we have a black C-suite now, but, like, they're in an office environment that's, like, hostile. I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, like, I just, like, don't. This I see clear. Dude, I'm feeling it now. Repercussions. Post-BLM. Yeah. Two places I'd love to work for reached out to me that I'd marginally been in contact with before, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah. I'm the perfect diversity hire now. Yeah. But, um... I'm definitely also a diversity hire. We're literally... <laughs> we're like diversity but, hires when we got into And school. I literally <laughs> look so white, and they're like, I'm on Zoom, and they're like, oh, like, you? Like... <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, we wanted someone like darker in complexion actually for our for our company-wide photo um yeah um wait can i read one more quote yes, not oh to God. like derail us but i really no, love this all i've done is derail us so. um but um regarding all of this that we're talking about um so uh hardcore still like talking about um i'm so glad i remembered this article honestly but he is still talking about occupy wall street and he was like this ideological fog blinded the american people to the pervasive regulatory mechanisms that inevitably organize a colossal late modern economy and that necessarily distribute wealth throughout society and in this country that quietly redistributed massive amounts of resources to the wealthiest elites. A central point of of the Occupy movement is that it takes both a big government and the neoliberal illusion of free markets to achieve such massive redistribution. Which I don't think that, like, Occupy was successful in that, but that it takes issue with both things simultaneously it's like not necessarily like a political movement it's not exclusively an economic one and why i like to place what we just saw in that trajectory of like i like that the occupation (laughs) public awakening yeah trajectory of public awakening yeah in fact even matches the trajectory that the occup the occupation of Wall Street, as it were right now, isn't a physical one. Right. It's one... Wall Street is taking up more real estate than average in people's heads right now. And totally. people are, you know... I mean, just in, in the abstract, digitally constructed space of the stock market, which... Can I be honest with you? Yeah. I can't even conceptualize of what the stock market looked like before digital computers. Yeah. I well, mean, I know, you know, I can read the Wikipedia page. Can I... But, like, what did you guys do? Just keep your, like, numbers on your little parchments? Like, I know. What, what are you doing? 
Well, the funny thing about that is, too, is, like, I think a lot of people's idea of Wall Street is, like, that, like, Charlie Sheen, like, Wall Street. Wall Street type. Yeah, Wolf of, oh, sorry, my reference is a little dated, but, like, Wolf of Wall Street, like, you imagine, like, the trading floor, all the, like, fucking, like, Mm -hmm. dudes in their suits, like, scribbling papers and, like, yelling and, like, waving, ah, what are you, you know, like, screaming, yeah, exactly, and the bell dinging, like, that doesn't exist anymore because, like, a lot of the processes of wall street which is why we produce things like flash crashes are automated yeah like it's all mechanical now it's like you have people like obviously employed to like maintain not maintain in terms of like it but like to run the system (laughs) but like that world doesn't exist anymore um but it exists in the public imaginary yeah as such yeah It, it endures which is Probably because the public has increasingly less and less access to that world. So our only snapshot of it is this, like, 70s, 80s, 90s yuppie film vision of what it means to be a stock trader. Totally. Even though that's an entirely obsolete (laughs) idea of what it is. You're just going to be stuck in Excel all day, like... Yeah. Gordon Gecko is no longer... I'm going to be honest, I'm not a big Leo fan. I, um... <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I, every no, pod, I, I come on and I have to, like, shit on a celebrity. No, I mean, I, I don't have... I, okay, I... I'm not, like, a film um, buff, though, and I don't think you are either. I I like a certain vibe of film. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street's not... I've never seen a Leo oh, film that I'm really into. Yeah. No, I was trying to think of something to say about Leo, but I think that pause just speaks to the fact that... Like, what <laughs> do I think no of Leo? Opinion. I don't think... I just He's just not one of the ones... That's, like, in my head, I guess. Yeah, he's not But I could say that about a lot of people. I'm not a big... I don't watch, like, TV. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Yeah, I'm not big on, like, the actor or actress scene. I also... I don't know. They're, like, passe celebrities at this point. Yeah. We're all... We're on to influencers now. Yes. This, once again, the celebrity of the postmodern <laughs> age. This de-centered... Yeah. Celebrity who's kind of in control of themselves, but who kind of relies on this like decentralized mass of influence that isn't like Hollywood. Like an influencer doesn't go to a film studio in Los Angeles yeah. to like exert their influence on yeah. culture. An influencer is just a little atomized part of the rhizome called social media. Right. Well, and it's funny too because like they, in the same way that like they're. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, like, I feel like they are themselves decentralized. Like, there's, like, no sense of, like, a person because they don't really even have to exist in anything other than a digital image. Because, like, nine times out of ten, like, no one's meeting these people in person. how I feel about, like, makeup today. A lot of digitally driven makeup trends are about turning the face into a flat image. Yeah. And when I see people with that, and you do see people with, like, a beat face in real life. Yeah, and and they look look insane from the side. Yeah, you look like a clown. You look like you just, I mean, yeah. No offense if you like makeup. Everyone, no offense (laughs) to Trixie Mattel. Um, Okay, Trixie Mattel is, like, is, like. (laughs) She's, like. But the she's most like extreme. inverted it. Yeah. She's inverted like this passive like trend into like, I'm going to take it to its extreme. Yeah. To the point where you can't help but, no- you know, notice it. Can I say though, when you like, well, okay. When you said like influencers are decentralized, the first thing I thought of was like the most extreme version of that that exists now and is becoming more popular is like things on the internet like Lil Michaela because they're <gasps> like totally virtual Shitty she's not Graham, a person Hatsune but like Miku. when I see her I'm like you look like 
a really face-tuned person. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't really look like an AI. Like, that's so... Again, really, like, no one knows what that word means. Like, you don't look like an AI. Like You don't look like a Terminator. Yeah, you don't look like code on, like, a computer screen. You don't look like iRobot. You don't look like Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. You look fuckable. Yeah, she looks hot. Bella Hadid made out with her for a Calvin Klein campaign. That's really fun. So... I want to meet the real person whose body they use oh as a prop for, like, these... Shudu Graham? The, the, yes. the little Michaela that looks yeah. super Sudanese? Yeah, was made by... Made by a white man. Run yeah. by a white man makes money for a white man. I'm like, how do you really... Yeah. I know I've said this on a video, but I'm gonna... The, the, the podcast, I can go further into things. How yeah. do you really turn like a body into a commodity that you can fully own and operate without being like amoral about it. Well, you just turn it into a digital abstraction. That's just an image. Yeah. It's not like a... you have, there's no real woman. There's no one behind it aside from like the body model, but every like facet of it is like so abstracted and pulled away from it into this like totally. little digital thing that everyone can project onto. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's and sell ads through and, and wear Prada. <laughs> yes, and you don't even have to sell Prada doesn't even have to sell it. Sell you a dress. They just have to like send you like one of those like three D scans of it. Like, Prada, you can sell us a dress. Yes, um, <laughs> mind you. <laughs> gross domestic podcast brought to you by. I'm just kidding. Rotten. <laughs> no. Um, but, um, anyway. Yeah, you can have full ownership well, of an of a body like Lil Mc- between I guess Lil Michaela and Shudu Graham are the ones that I follow. Last thing I want to say. Michaela's mixed, right? Yeah, Michaela is the most like perfectly racially ambiguous woman. Totally. The Kylie Jenner of the, the Kylie Jenner. Uh, a more digital Okay. What I wanted to say though is like especially Shudu and also I guess Lil Michaela now that I think about it more, they all kind of for me represent like the apex of like post colonialism you know what I mean where it's like now we can't like oh I mean whatever we talked about slavery last time but like now we can't own people but can we like own oh, that image of somebody I mean yeah Kanye West I hate to say it brought this up when he's like I don't own my masters I don't yeah. own my work and then he compared it to slavery he compares a lot of things to slavery <sighs> we don't have to get into that yeah but the co-opting of like, oh, well, this is just like the record of the thing. This is the image of the thing. This isn't the thing. It's the representation of the thing. It's like the this right. like digital trace of like, whatever. Yeah. Well, you could make it look like anything in theory, too. And it's like, well, why do you There's choose? Or why do all of those like, not to like single anyone out here, but all those like Russian influencers who like convert oh my to black. Oh, my God. They're like transracial. I literally think about them all the time there's I one do too. in Ukraine there's one in Ukraine who comes up on my feed every day because like yeah. anytime she comes up I go to her page and I like scroll through obsessively it's like I'm not calling anyone out but yeah. she literally her face looks like if Kim Kardashian was bred with a praying mantis uh, and then her boobs are so big that like the skin on the sides of it of them stretch because she doesn't have the torso to hold it up uh, because she's clearly suffering from trigger warning from an eating disorder. Mm. But she still gets, like, a bunch of, like, filler and shit in her ass. Whoa. But also facetunes it, and I'm like, you know what you look like to me? The most Russian woman. The most Russian woman. But she's Ukrainian. But she's... That was a hot take. That was a... Wait, but she's not trying to be black, is my thing. Because there's a lot of them who do the transracial thing. Yeah, they, like... Or maybe not exclusively Russian women, but they're, like... She's, like, tan, big ass, big lips. 
Yeah. So I would say she's like she. I don't think she looks any blacker than Kim Kardashian. Okay. The classic patient yeah. zero. Uh, yeah, she, she, the ground zero. Ground zero of, <laughs> of, of being a non-black black woman. Dude, it's really she crazy. She even has black kids. She went the whole. She went yeah, the whole went, nine yards. Well, yeah. Now she, you can't say anything now. Mm-hmm. She's like as the mother of four or five. Okay. I don't know how many children there are. Yeah. She's like, I'm just... I watched the episode of the Kardashians recently where she, like, goes to D.C. to, like, meet with Trump when she's on her, like... Does she her... have the bob? Um, I think so. She looked really good. I, I think she always looks good. She always looks really good, yeah, which I hate that. to say it, but... Yeah. Um, anyway, no, that was just very funny because that was her whole shtick was, like, well, as the mother... And, like, I mean, like, yeah, like, you protect your children. Like, I don't think I, she's being insincere. I don't either, but I think, like... I think her, the whole family, and a lot of other shifts that are happening in our culture are just, like, they're symptomatic of a bigger issue around, like, this weird, racially ambiguous... How does a family that's banked so hard on these, like, racialized aesthetics, so hard that in one generation most of them will be part black, like, navigate a a political landscape where this racial aesthetic is a liability. Totally. Well, I, I don't mean to turn it into something, I just want to say, like, something yeah. that's, like, so cynical. Because I don't think they're being insincere. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. And I will say, like, they're kind of on the vanguard of, like, bigger trends in American demographics, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we will be majority-minority, we'll have more mixed-race people... White people will be, like, quite literally placed into the minority in America in, like, I don't know, 20, 30 years. So it's, like, I don't know. We don't need to get into this right now. I think but we it's flush our thoughts out and just yeah. straight up do, like, a shameless a, Kardashian episode. Yeah. We should do it when the new season, the final yes. season airs. Catch the buzz as it's happening. Yeah. But also because I would do that. we mean it when we say... Politics and pop culture aren't separate. I know in the last episode I said politics is an entertainment, mm. but entertainment is often political. Not always, but I also said that entertainment is often political. Yeah, well, they've made it that way. Sometimes I'm like, yeah. I just want to enjoy entertainment. But th- that also, yeah. it aligns to what we said in the last episode, where it was like politics. And like, I think also by proxy or like what maybe is like the root causes economics but like politics have entered like every sphere of our lives so it's like rupaul's drag race can't just be about like having fun and doing drag it has to have a political message or like the kardashians too like she has to get into like prison reform because she's mm-hmm. no longer just an entertainer like our culture necessitates yeah. like i think prison reform fits for her because yeah that's the one thing no it makes sense yeah. no kardashian viewer would be opposed to i mean not the one thing i think she could totally. also have gone for like and no, I don't think women's rights. Would I don't think with Kanye like with the yeah. whole abortion shenanigans. Yeah, but, I was um, gonna say she's definitely not gonna be like an environmental activist. No, she's not. <laughs> so yeah, it fit. It fit yeah, well. It but you know sense. what? She's. I'm gonna be honest. This is like the sad part. She's done more for prison reform than Joe Biden, the author of the 1994 crime bill. Yeah, Mike. We'll remind you of that on every episode. On every episode. And um, Kim Kardashian has done more for prison reform than the president of the United States. Yeah. Yikes. Um, and that's cringe. And that's that's on cringe. Um, okay. I feel like we've done a good amount of time. Yeah. We okay. can just like mess around now. We're yeah. on uh, Spotify, yeah. Patreon. 
if you want updates, you can follow our Instagram. It's Gross Domestic Podcast. And, and like, I don't know what you do, but like rate the podcast, tell your friends about it. I feel like you watch podcasts. Yeah, what we could like record them. I don't know. We can, whatever. But like rate the podcast, tell your friends, follow us on IG. Oh, I miss her. We're still working on getting Apple Podcasts set up. There's like some weird approval process. So Stitch be patient. Exists. Um, we'll Stitcher. try to figure that out. Stitcher. Oh, that's yeah, where Stitcher. I that. See, <laughs> I'm like I'm the technical genius here. No, I'm just kidding. I just do PR. Uh, yeah, exactly. We we all have our different jobs. Yeah, but anyway. we have strengths. And we have... And we have other strengths. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Bam. We have things that we're, like, pretty good at and other things that we're very good at. Um, What's the, uh... What's, like, a bullshit thought that's been bouncing around your head like a boiled egg underneath the rest of it to this week? Um... I don't know. That's a good question. Like, nothing comes to mind. Do you have one? Um, yeah. Okay. All the ads I'm getting for, like, cozy clothes, whether it's Uggs, yeah. whether it's some brand that I keep seeing on Instagram called Nap, and I keep, like, reporting the ads because I'm like, stop fucking tempting me. Yeah. They keep coming up again. And just the rise of loungewear and luxury loungewear. Mm. And just the whole phenomenon of, like, now you can do conspicuous consumption in your, like, just at home, in bed, in what you think would be a private, isolated scenario. No. Because you know that they're, you're going to take an Instagram photo of it and post yourself in your little, like, True. $100 Uggs and your $200 cashmere <laughs> pajamas, you know? Like, it's just because I keep interacting with it on the internet. That's a con- Yeah. I would buy, like, some skims. I mean, I bought... A floor-length cardigan yeah. to be cozy in. You I didn't buy it from that wear. stupid freaking brand. I resisted. Good for you. I went to Crossroads. I'm proud of you. Thanks. And on that note, <laughs> I'm like, on that note, follow us on Spotify, follow us on Instagram, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace on Earth.